Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back, Outkick 360, live from our 6th and Peabody studios downtown Nashville. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. Jonathan Hutton had to tend to some very important show business, and we will be, I say we, the show will be in Knoxville tomorrow. Paul's going to have some stuff for us back here in Nashville. Hutton and I will be in Knoxville tomorrow getting ready for the college football weekend. Old City Sports Bar will be the location tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, leading up to Tennessee taking on Ball State tomorrow night. Plenty of notes to get to coming up later this hour. We're going to talk with David Hookstead of OutKick about some college football storylines, Big Ten, a lot of things to talk about in the Big Ten with Nebraska's loss, uh, with the big upcoming weekend, including a big Big Ten game tomorrow night. So we'll talk with David Hookstead coming up. First, Paul, though, a uh, story coming down here recently, and I think one with broader implications based on the statement made by Titans general manager John Robinson about the 2021, right? 2021, 2020, 2020 draft class what has turned out to be not so good for the Titans. Yeah, I'm actually working on a piece about this. I was talking to some of the other uh, people on the beat about it uh, because Robinson was talking during during the show. His answer uh, about this class was a lot about um, COVID and the restrictions keeping him from a lot of the things that he would uh, usually do. But, I mean, this class, they just cut Lorel Murchison, a fifth-rounder, and seventh-rounder Chris Jackson. Cole McDonald's seventh-round quarterback was cut, like, before training camp. He was training cut before. Camp. Yeah, he was like, it was like after the rookie minicamp yeah, or something. that year. Isaiah Wilson was an all-time bust. Darrington Evans didn't make it to his third training camp after he played in six games. Des Fitzpatrick just got caught in the move to 53 for the second year in a row though he could get promoted here uh, shortly because of injuries. He's on the practice squad. Dylan Radins can't win a backup spot. Um, Christian Fulton's the only real player they got out of this class. He's the only one still on the team. Yeah, and and Robinson's making COVID excuses out of it. It's 2022, by the way. This was the 2020 draft class. This was two years ago. Yeah. And Christian Fulton's the only one remaining. So the Titans are are competing with the Colts, who a lot of people are expecting to catch or surpass them. And the Colts in this draft um, got Pittman, the receiver, Pinter, a guard, Jonathan Taylor, who's contending with Derrick Henry to be the best back in the league, Justin Blackman, a starting safety, and two other guys who are on their roster. So apparently Chris Ballard found the way. <laughs> in COVID to find uh, four starters and two contributors in the same draft. 
And I don't think they had a first rounder that year because uh, both Pittman and Taylor, I believe, were second rounders. So I, I don't really like what John Robinson had to say there. And it sounds like a lot of excuse making to me. Now, the Titans did find some undrafteds that year who are going to be influential on this team. Tier Tart, Aaron Brewer, Nick Westbrook, Akine. Um, and that's good. It's good when you can make up for blowing draft picks by finding undrafted guys. Um, they have been very forgiving of themselves, John Robinson and um, Mike Vrabel, for the Isaiah Wilson pick. But as you pointed out last week, they had to chase it with Dylan Radins, a second rounder. And now they've had to chase it with uh, Nicholas Petit Frere, a third round, until they found a guy who's going to start now. And we don't know how good he's going to be. So it, it, this is kind of what bothers me about the comments is in a, in a, when challenges are presented like COVID, right, in terms of uh, the ability to go watch players for a draft, that's where the really good scouting departments shine. That's where you get more creative. That's where the really good GM should have better draft classes than everyone else because they're going to be more adaptable with adversity. Th that's what kind of bothers me about it. I consider John Robinson, Paul, one of the better GMs in the NFL. It's very un-John Robinson-like to make any type of excuse. But I also think COVID with a guy like John Robinson should have lent the Titans to doing even better Shine. than other teams. Yeah. Because they would be more on the cusp of finding ways to make sure you're doing your job well for the draft. They and did that not, didn't happen. They did not do that. And this was on the heels of 2019 when they drafted Jeffrey Simmons, A.J. Brown, Nate Davis, who's a starting right guard, Amani Hooker, who's a starting safety, and David Long, who's an excellent coverage linebacker. That's a terrific draft. Their only miss there was DeAndre Walker, a pass rusher who got hurt as a rookie and busted in his second year, didn't make it out of camp. So he had a terrific draft and followed that up with a terrible draft. Disappointing. Yeah. Um, disappointing, and, and, for sure. And now they've got 11 rookies on their first 53-man roster. Some of those rookies they, they need to play a bigger role than they usually ask rookies to play, largely because they bombed the year before. So when you're getting ready for a football season, one thing you, you take for granted is that you have water available to you the flowing, on your campus. The flowing sort. Flowing water, ice for water, for drinks during practice, everything else. Um, that's not the case right now. The, uh, the United States has declared a state of emergency in Jackson, Mississippi because of a water shortage, because of flooding and some different issues going on around that city. Deion Sanders has talked about this, coach at Jackson State, where they're having to move a lot of their players in advance of a game against Florida A&M this weekend because they don't have water available for showers, water available for practice. Um, Paul, it's not often something that's a very serious situation, not just for football in Jackson, Mississippi, but not something you're normally thinking about if you're a football coach getting your team ready for a season. Now, that's the first thing I, I think about is it's, it's not particularly relevant for a football team to have ice-cold water and showers because you know people are suffering on a much deeper level than that just on day-to-day -day life. Um, but it sucks that it happens to you in your town where you're trying to get your work done and these kids are trying to live their you know, uh, student and athletic lives. And um, seems like they're a little bit snake bit. 
So we've all we've had some fun at the expense of Tony Larusa, and uh, he's given a lot of reasons to do so. Unfortunate story though uh, with the White Sox and Larusa. He is stepping away right now, out indefinitely, with an unspecified medical issue. It's also been reported that it's a heart issue of some kind with Tony Larusa. He's stepping away from the team. Paul, given some things that have happened throughout the year, I think it's easy to see where there could be. He's an older guy. Could be some medical issues at play. Um, I would not expect him to manage again as the manager of the White Sox. How old is Tony Larusa? He's too old for this job. And I'm I'm not saying uh, you know you could foresee something like this coming, but it's a younger man's game. Um, And he is 75, 77, 77. Wow. That's That's too old. That's too old for a baseball manager, uh, given uh, the, the taxing workload and the day to day strain of the job. I I hope he recovers obviously. Um, But it it was a bad hire. Um, And it's not gone well when he was healthy, presumably healthy. Uh, during the year, we've seen gaffes made by him, and we've seen uh, fans having to yell to him to get him to do moves that that should have come naturally. A pinch runner, uh, we saw. So I hope he gets well, and I I hope he he's not back in the dugout for his sake and for the sake of fans of the White Sox. I didn't know that Jerry Reinsdorf was still the owner of the White Sox. He is the managing owner. I believe. Uh, my next question would be, how old is Jerry Reinsdorf? Uh, yeah, because, uh, because, well, it says in the story that he's close friends with, uh, with, with Tony La Russa. He's 86, Jerry Reinsdorf. That seems... Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, who most recently you know, became in the spotlight again because of his appearance on The Last Dance. I feel like it was the last time we've heard from Jerry Reinsdorf talking about Scottie Pippen and the contract that ended up being really bad for Scottie Pippen was the last time we knew about him. He was uh, a star of The Last Dance. No doubt. Um, The Cowboys, Paul. Speaking of this age thing, um, there's been this thing going around. I I was born in 1969. I'm I'm 53, all right? So there's been this thing going around. um, And obviously, if you do the math, it's not a hard thing to comprehend. But that if you go from 1970... It's, it's really tough to realize that it's as far from 1970 to now as it is from 1970 to 1918. Wow. That's the exact same reaction yeah. I had. That's one. I, I feel like I'm Zach Galifianakis in The Hangover with all the algorithms and equations above my head right so now the trying distance, to figure that out. The, you know, the distance from nearly the year of my birth to now, if we went the other direction, I'd be in 1918. That's insane to me. You know what's crazy to me about a year like 2022? We're going to go very off topic here. Uh, In terms of calculating age and you see a birth year with someone, it's very difficult to straddle the 2000 (laughs) and do it quickly in your head in terms of age and when someone was born. For example, you said 1918. You know, in 1998, it was very easy to know if someone was born in the 1900s you just subtract it from the year, right? But when it straddles the year and you go to 2022, like if I said 1958 as a birth year, like it takes you a little bit longer to get to the, the get to the age. I'm not good at that. I've got a couple key birthdays in my life that are on 
64. Uh, single years, uh, on, on zero okay. years. My dad was born um, in 1930. So he's with the year. Every August, he catches up to the, the year. He just turned 92. Teresa's birthday is Saturday. She will turn, I think I'm allowed to say, um, with the year. Right? It's your show. So say it. She turns 52. Um, and so it's convenient to me when somebody's born on the tens, on the tens. Be born on the tens. Have your kids on the tens. Do you, know, um, do you know birth year? of those closest to you? Like, can you go through your brothers and your sister and your parents and say no. the birth year for everyone? Not off the top of my head. See, only, I can say some, I can say I've got, Simon. I've got four brothers and sisters. I can tell you when they graduated high school, but I can't off the top of my head, I could add it up, but I can't off the top of my head, say a birth year for all of them. I know my oldest sister was born in 1969. I can't even tell you how old they are off the top of my head. I can tell you how much older they are than me. Yes. They're all older in relation to you, or graduation year of high school, or birth year. But I can tell you, my parents and grandparents, what year they were born in. I do have all of this in my calendar. So with their birthday, I have in parent in my calendar. I have in parentheses their birth year. I'm fascinated by what people remember and how they remember it at times, because everyone's got their own mental device for thinking of a number or a time, and then relating it to some sort of experience. And that's how you remember. Now, Teresa tends to round her age up because I'm a year older, not a full year, but you know, I'm, I'm born in 69. So I'm 53. She's born in 70. So she'll be 52, which immediately rounds it up to even up with me. So at a certain age, you can confuse yourself about your own age. Yeah. I'm confused right now. Maybe David Hookstead can help us out. We'll ask him his birth year when he comes on he's with us. He's young. He's got to be a young guy. Look at I'm, him. He's a young I'm assuming he's a little bit younger than me. I'm going to give him 34. But probably not much. We'll find out. David Hookstead from OutKick, college football writer. We'll talk with him when we come back. This is OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well.
Welcome back, Outkick 360, on what I'm calling a college football eve, uh, because week zero was fine, it was nice, but really, the first week of college football kicks off tomorrow night with some good games, and then some good games throughout the weekend, alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Chad Withrow, David Hookstead, maybe he agrees with me, maybe he doesn't, he's with Outkick.com, great writer at Outkick, his job security at OutKick is far better than Scott Frost's current job security at Nebraska after this past weekend. David, welcome in, man. Appreciate you hopping on today. Hey, thanks. Always happy to be here on OutKick 360 with you guys. Even with Scott Frost and the track record now at uh, at Nebraska, which he's, I believe, 15 and 30 after this loss to Northwestern, all the close losses, David, um, I find myself even being surprised at how Nebraska can lose a close game after deciding to onside kick up 28-17 to 17 in the third quarter. What was your initial takeaway from that loss for Nebraska and Scott Frost and what it means now for Frost moving forward? Well, Scott Frost and Nebraska blowing games in week zero has kind of become an annual tradition now. It's happened a couple times in a row, Illinois last year. Way worse situation this year given the momentum they had. They're up by 11, the onside kick. He's putting on a master class of blowing games that he should win. Like you said, look at his record. I think he's 3-23 and 23, uh, when trailing at half. And there was no need for that because they were in control. They had a great first quarter. But it's not a matter of if he gets fired. He's going to get fired. His buyout drops to, I think, $7.5 after October 1st. In my mind, there is nothing he can do to save his job because he probably needs to win seven or eight games. And you look at their schedule and tell me if you can confidently say there's eight wins on there. Yeah, I mean, I th- I could see a way they get to six and, and break the, the bowl streak because their schedule's not very difficult for a Big Ten schedule this year. Uh, but I, I'm with you. After that loss, I mean, they're a two-touchdown favorite in that game. They're not going to be a two-touchdown favorite in many more games in the Big Ten, and they weren't able to win outright in that game. That That's a problem. David Hookstead with us on OutKick 360. Uh, read your piece at OutKick about Lee Corso, and I too was watching on Saturday to ESPN College Game Day, and I understand that Lee Corso is an institution. Uh, he is beloved, all of those things, and I know there's a delay when you're doing a show remotely, and the ESPN is claiming that was a big part of it. I got to be honest, though, David, I- I'm uncomfortable watching it. I feel so bad for everyone involved now, and it just gets worse and worse every year watching Lee Corso, but the delicate balance of that, of how to handle that if you're ESPN with Corso, what do you think about that situation? So I feel the exact same way you do, that he's an institution, he's an icon, he's a legend. I was watching the whole time. There was something, now they're saying it's the delay. I don't believe that. It seemed like he was struggling at times to just gather his thoughts after starting what he wanted to say. The problem ESPN has is this. If you were on Twitter during game day and you looked at what was trending for game day, it wasn't really about anything related to what was going to happen on the field or what the other analysts and pundits were saying. Half of it was people expressing concern that Lee Corso wasn't okay and or needed to retire. That's the issue for ESPN. How many times do you want to go out there and every Saturday it's just going to trend on Twitter that Lee Corso is having problems? I love Lee Corso. I wish him nothing the best. That was difficult for me to sit through and think this is okay. Yeah, and it's I don't know that they've been kind of diminishing his role over the years. He's not in every segment. They're getting creative on bringing different people in and doing different things where he's not a part of it. 
Um, I, 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 I say all of it. I think you agree. It's just a difficult spot because you don't want to be the one who fires Lee Corso if you're ESPN. But, man, it is, it is brutal to watch. Uh, sometimes you got to kind of save someone from themselves, I guess, at some point. Um, yeah, difficult to watch. Hey, I, we just got this tweet. Uh, Brett McMurphy reporting that um, the the playoff advisory committee, whatever the hell you call this thing, they've got a different name for every group, but a 12-team playoff is being discussed with a proposal that would start in 2024. David, we know it's inevitable that the playoff is going to expand. We had a big conversation about this earlier. If they expand the playoff, how much more interesting does it make college football from a championship perspective for more teams outside of the ones that we see in the playoff every single year? I think it makes it way more exciting. Now, making it more exciting does not mean the outcome will likely change. Your Alabamas, your Ohio State, your Georgias, those are still the teams that are going to win it more times than everyone else. But let's take the Big Ten, for example. Michigan got in last year for the first time. It set the state of Michigan on fire. It made everything more interesting. finally felt like Michigan was relevant again. Take a team like Wisconsin, a team that's never been, was knocking on the door once or twice, couldn't get in. You put them in a 12-team field, now you've brought in another state. You have another fan base that is super energized just to be in the conversation, in the process. And even if you don't make it past that first round, now you can say, we're a playoff team. It makes everyone more invested, more engaged. Even if it doesn't stop Alabama from winning more national titles, it makes everything else more exciting for literally everyone else. Ohio State, and uh, actually let's start with the, the game tomorrow night. Penn State and Purdue tomorrow night in West Lafayette. Um, how important is this for James Franklin? You know, of all the hot seat talk of different coaches out there, we, we don't often list James Franklin, but he's had two, one bad year, one not very good year last season. What do you think about him and his team entering this season? Well, I think that he needs to win, right? You always want to start off on a strong foot. Like you just said, there have been some hiccups along the way. But I'm not concerned about Penn State winning this game whatsoever. I think they'll be fine. And the reason for that is you turn on the news, you turn on uh, anyone talking about Big Ten, they talk about Aiden O'Connell, the Purdue quarterback, like he's the greatest thing ever. And I looked up his stats coming into this segment. He played two good defenses last year, Notre Dame and Wisconsin. Wisconsin had a top five statistical defense in those two games. He threw a combined one touchdown, five interceptions for only 300 yards total. So I think the guy, I've always thought he was overrated. I think Penn State is going to stomp all over Purdue. I don't even think it'll be close. And I think that he, Aiden O'Connell, I mean, he might put up numbers. But James Franklin will be fine no matter what happens this year. But yes, blowing out Purdue to start the year, even though they're only favored by three and a half, but just getting boat racing them would be great for him. I think James Franklin is a good coach, and you look no further than what he did right here in Nashville at Vanderbilt. But could you argue, you, you use the term overrated, David, could you argue he's a bit overrated when you look at his salary at Penn State versus what he's actually done at the school? Yeah, I mean, and that's so when it, whenever money gets involved, people are always going to say, hey, we're paying you X. You're not living up to, to what we expect out of you. Ryan Day, for example, obviously is 34 and four. He's making a fortune, but no national titles. He's made the college football playoff. Impressive. James Franklin even hasn't done that. The thing with Penn State football is Penn State football fans, and I love them, they kind of believe we're only one year away from being Alabama. We're only one year away from being Georgia. We're one player away from being Ohio State. That's just not true. 
And I think that that delusion is not good. So James Franklin gets paid a lot, but if he can consistently win nine or 10 games, that's what Penn State fans should get accustomed to as normal. How is Jeff Brom viewed in the Big Ten? Is he a guy that's highly respected, underrated in your mind? I'm curious in Big Ten circles. I've always liked him as a coach. I like what he's done there so far. How is he viewed in Big Ten circles? I think he's highly respected. I, I think I think what he's done at Purdue, which again, going back to when you talk about expectations, Purdue, not an easy place to recruit to, doesn't have a lot of resources, not a lot of great tradition. There's not like a lot of energy around the program. And yet he's been very competitive with Purdue for what they usually punch at their weight. He punches above that, right? So I think he's incredibly respected. The question is, will he be there much longer? I know there was a lot of talk that maybe he'd go to Louisville. That never happened. Big Ten now has even more money than it did previously. They can certainly pay him. But I think anyone who who overlooks Jeff Brom is is kidding themselves. I would bet that not one of these games finishes within 10 points, maybe 13. You guys who sell college football like it's better than ice cream still make it like this is going to be, a oh, the best two days ever, three days. Go ahead and give me two games that finish within single digits. Oh, man. Uh, well, if we're talking Big Ten or as a whole, uh, Illinois, Indiana, that's going to be one that'll be close because neither team's overly oh, uh, impressive. I mean, I'll, I'll, and that'll be I'll, a bit I'll, of a... I'll tune in for that one because uh, the what, quality is going to be What Paul doesn't understand is with the volume of games in college football, I can give you a handful right now. Utah and Florida. Utah I think, win by breaking. 10. I think Arkansas and Cincinnati could Arkansas be that way. Win by 10. I'll give you a sleeper pick. South Carolina, Georgia State's going to be a single-digit game. It's a 12-point line going in, but I think Georgia State has a chance to play with, with South Carolina. There are plenty of games that are going to be single digits. I asked him. Agreed. Agreed. Well, those are all good ones. Uh, one game I promise you won't be in single digits is Ohio State and Notre Dame. Well, I, I know uh, that. Bet, mortgage your house or take out a second mortgage and bet the Buckeyes with every penny you well, have. Why do I want to watch that? What's the excitement of that? Will Penn State, Purdue tomorrow night be single digits, you think, David? Yeah, it'll be single digits. Penn State will cover. Uh, it'll be single digits. I know I said it'd be huge for Franklin if he blows them out. I Ten points. To me, in, a, in an early Big Ten season game, ten points is, is about good. Nine, it'll be in that seven to nine, maybe pushing ten range. But they're going to cover the three and a half, no problem. That was your question? That was my question. Okay. Yeah. Any more? Sure. What, uh, why, why are people as high on Florida against somebody like Utah? as they are, not having seen Napier do anything in this at this level yet. Well, when you say, why are people high on Florida? I don't know who, who what they're saying down by you guys. Everyone I'm talking to thinks Utah's going to march into the swamp and absolutely dismantle the oh, Gators. Uh, pe- people are saying that it's, you know, the, the gimme bet of the week. Again, not my words. I'm not saying that. I'm not even going to bet that game because I don't feel comfortable enough with it. But Look at Utah over these past few years. I mean, they they talk about a team that's punched above their weight. Great coach. They're going to play a Florida team that's, you know, in the obvious transition period with Napier. First time, uh, first year head coach with the Gators. I think Utah is is got a lot going for them in this game. So Illinois, uh, I'm still not quite sure what they are under Brett Bielema, David, but that was impressive on Saturday. I, I don't think Wyoming's very good with all the transfers out of that program. Uh, but they handled business in that game, and it looked like a Brett Bielema-type team with good offensive line play, running the football. Do you think they're taking a slight step up this season? 
Oh, absolutely. And I would say this too, the quarterback, Tommy DeVito, he was very efficient. I think he threw for two touchdowns in that game as well against Wyoming. So their quarterback play even looked good, which is something traditionally Illinois has not had in these past couple of years. I think Brett Bielma is going to try to do what he did when he was the head coach of the Badgers, which is what he failed at doing when he was Arkansas, which is just replicate replicate what he did in Madison. We're going to have great offensive line play. We're going to run the ball. We're going to have a steady, rock-solid defense. And then we're only going to kind of throw – when we have to, but the problem he runs into with that is he's not getting the same caliber of recruits that he got in Madison, certainly not in Arkansas. You can't really do that when you're scraping bottom bottom of the barrel power five recruits when you got to play Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, teams of that nature. That strategy doesn't work if you don't have the skill. You know, when I first saw that Jim Harbaugh was going to start one quarterback in game one and another one in game two, I thought it was odd. And I'm thinking, you know, the old adage that if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterbacks and all that. And then I kind of think, David, well, in the era of if you're not a starting quarterback, you're just going to transfer out and go somewhere else. Maybe he's actually a little bit cutting edge, not tipping his his hand and not saying who's going to be the starter long term and doing it in this way. He needs to keep the young man, J.J. McCarthy, the sophomore. He needs to keep him happy because he's the future is what they think. His ceiling is certainly higher than Cade McNamara. But here's the problem. Michigan was 12-2 and last season with Cade McNamara taking the vast majority of snaps. So you know you can win with him. You know you can win the Big Ten with him. And you know you can get to the playoff with him. You know the sophomore has a higher ceiling, though. So how risky do you want to get? I think ultimately they'll stick with McNamara for the majority, but you're going to see J.J. McCarthy, the young man, he will absolutely see an increased role just to make sure he doesn't transfer before next year when, he, when he'll start for sure. Who's the best team in the Big Ten West going into this season? Oh, the Badgers. Come on. <laughs> it's Ten- right over his shoulder there, Yeah, Chad. yeah. So why, why Wisconsin? Well, I don't know, and I think I said this the last time I was on with you guys talking about this. I don't know if it's so much that Wisconsin is is so good. I think it might just be that the Big Ten West is not particularly full of outstanding competitive teams. You have Iowa, who will be solid. We blew them out last year, and we're in a better position now than we were last year. You have Minnesota that will be competitive, but not anything you know to really write home about. But our best thing is our schedule favors us. We have a game against Ohio State that will probably not win. We have a tough game against Michigan State that could be a coin flip, and then we play Iowa. And after that, we'll probably be favored in, against Michigan State and Iowa. Anyways, we'll be favored in every other game. So it's just a schedule thing. We'll have a good defense. Or we have the best running back in the Big Ten. And if we can figure out how to pass the ball more than eight to nine yards down the field at a time, we might actually be a competent football team which is more than most of the Big Ten West can say. You find any intrigue or uh, percentage opportunity for something wild to happen with, with Dan Lanning uh, against his, his former team, with Oregon having sprung an upset at the start last year, um, or am I just trying to, trying to create a scenario to make things exciting? Well, you got to assume he knows the personnel on Georgia better than any other head coach they'll play all season, right? Because he spent time coaching them as an assistant. The problem is Oregon, the talent gap between even Georgia, which has to replace a lot of pieces on uh, on their defense, the talent gap between the guys that will be on the field for Oregon and the guys that will be on the field for Georgia is huge. I mean, it's it's massive. I, I It would be a miracle. It'd be awesome as a college football fan to see happen. 
I, I wouldn't bet on it. I, I definitely don't think it will. Now, Bo Nix, good quarterback. Kitty kind of re- – I'm sorry, he's a quarterback trying to revitalize his career after leaving Auburn. Could he inject some life with the Ducks? Maybe. But, no, I think Jordan – they're just too big. They're just too talented. So Kevin Warren, Big Ten commissioner, went on Real Sports on HBO, and uh, he threw out, you know, was asked 20 teams, and he said, sure, you know, 20 teams is, is realistic. We know about Oregon and some interest coming from, from Oregon to the Big Ten. People want to lump Oregon and Washington in together. Makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, who are the next two teams? If, if David so, Hookstead is the, the commissioner of the Big Ten, who are the next two teams for the Big Ten? Well, if it's up to me, I would I would look maybe at a I would want to expand more to the East Coast, maybe a UNC, maybe try to go into Florida and get Florida State or Miami. They're saying the next two are going to be Cal and Stanford. So they're going to take Oregon, Washington, Cal and Stanford. I don't really understand why those Cal and Stanford come. But the Kevin Warren part of that interview that's even more interesting is he said right after that he sees a situation where the expansion doesn't end. Like I think he said that we just have perpetual expansion that 20 could be a starting point. And that's where I think things could get really crazy, really in- interesting. If they get the 20 and they're going to like, okay, now we want to go 22, 24, that's where you could see really chaos that I, that you can't imagine. Do you care at all about the quality of the school with the Big Ten? I ask this because this is a big sales point for the Big Ten about the quality of the academic institution. You mentioned Florida State, for example. UNC would make sense with that. Not sure Florida State makes complete sense with what you're saying. Certainly Stanford and Cal would make sense with that ethos of the Big Ten. You are a Big Ten guy. Wisconsin's a good school. You're a Wisconsin guy. Do you actually care about the quality of the school when making football decisions? Not one bit. I care about uh, winning big games, playing big televised games, and getting resources to hopefully win a national title and I don't watch football to see what the kids are majoring in. And I certainly don't watch football to see what the fans and the stands are majoring in. So to put it as bluntly as possible, I don't care at all whether or not Florida State, Clemson, whoever has the academics. If we're going to do this arms race, we got to do it right. And we got to get the best teams, not the best academics. So you don't care if Wisconsin's a good school? Well, I already have my degree. So I mean – if I had a child and you wanted to go to Wisconsin, he or she, I would absolutely want Wisconsin to be a good school. But Wisconsin is already a good school. Like taking Florida State into the Big Ten is not going to impact the good. academics of Madison. Good. Um, I, I mean, I just don't understand the logic of it. Your your degree is of a certain value. Why wouldn't you want the school to be as good as it can? You care more about the football team than the reputation of the university. Well, to be clear, again, I love Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a, is a really good academic school, and I absolutely don't want that to change. But expanding the Big Ten and bringing in teams that aren't as great academically as Northwestern, Michigan, Wisconsin, teams of that, or sorry, schools of that nature, it's not going to impact the education kids at the University of Illinois get to bring in Clemson. Uh, I wouldn't send my kid to a bad academic school. I wouldn't go to a bad academic school. But from a football standpoint, if the goal is to build a football super conference, then I need to be focused on the best football programs and athletic departments. That's the first time I've heard Wisconsin mentioned with Northwestern. Do you as a Wisconsin guy think that Wisconsin is is on par with Northwestern? My question was about adding football teams to a conference, and he said he doesn't care about what teams are added. The similarity is they're both in the Big Ten. 
Wisconsin and Northwestern. So they're in the, the same conference. I understand, but I'm talking about the dissimilarity. One is a far better school than the other. Yeah, yeah, I'll answer that for you. I do believe Northwestern is hands down, not just better than Wisconsin academically, and I have great pride in Wisconsin. It's the best school in the Big Ten academically by far. So from a football perspective, um, does Utah make sense for the Big Ten at some point, given their recent success with Kyle Whittingham? Basically, is it sustainable? Yeah, so that's that and Colorado have both been mentioned. The problem with that is I think the goal of adding teams is you want to you want to grow the TV market. And I don't know if adding Utah or Colorado uh, from a from a financial st- sense makes uh, a standpoint makes a lot of sense. I will say from a competitive nature standpoint over the past five, six, seven years, Utah could stack up with the with the with that next tier of Big Ten teams, your Michigan, your Michigan State, your Wisconsin's, not Ohio State. Utah is every bit as competitive as they are. So, yes, from that standpoint, 100%. From a money standpoint, I don't know if they would bring in necessarily as much as they would take out. You mentioned North Carolina early earlier, which which I like the Eastern appeal that, that you mentioned. Do you think there's any magnet to Duke that holds North Carolina from making that move if it, if it were to get an invitation? So that that's the big thing with North Carolina ditch uh, it's its most famous partner and rival. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. To me, we're now in a situation where to some degree money is going to dictate everything. Would the Big Ten take Duke if they're going to get North Carolina? Not in a situation where they're only going to go to 20 teams. In a situation where they go 24 or more, 26, I absolutely, I think you can see Duke coming. But North Carolina would, I think, could be convinced to leave Duke out in the cold if it came to it. That'd be something. David Hookstead, college football writer, contributor, outkick.com, at dhookstead on Twitter. And you can find him his work at outkick.com as well. David, thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Thanks. Thank you. Big college uh, football weekend up ahead. Big day tomorrow with Outkick 360 as well. Getting you ready for the football weekend. We'll tell you where we're going to be tomorrow. We'll wrap up the show. When we come back, this is Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, Outkick 360 across the Outkick network and live from our downtown Nashville 6th and Peabody studios. Paul, I'm watching the Patriots play this preseason, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what could possibly go wrong with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and not knowing, not defining roles for play callers and all this, and I'm seeing Mac Jones in year two, and I understand that it's the preseason, but something's not adding up with this team. No, it's um, 
it's messy there and they probably have roles defined more than than we know it's not a belichick uh feature to to share information like that he uh wants to be secretive and turn everybody into a sleuth and that's fine it goes over better when you're winning super bowl than it does when you're being projected by a lot of people to be a fourth place finisher and not unreasonably so um i think the dolphins and the jets did a lot more to make their teams better than, than the Patriots did. And I don't find it unreasonable to think that they could come in fourth in that division, certainly third. And I'm saying that as somebody that's not a Tua Tungavaloa believer and somebody that's, that's not a, uh, a Wilson believer. But I, I'm not going to be surprised to see the Patriots in a battle for third place in that division maybe losing it. And I don't think they're in range of the playoffs in a very, very competitive, high-quality AFC. Paul, I know we've, uh, we've talked about Jimmy Garoppolo staying on with the 49ers, the insurance policy for Trey Lance, the mixed signals that sends to Trey Lance as the starting quarterback also. And I know he retweeted this earlier today. There was a big battle in Titans training camp for punter. And Ryan Stonehouse beat out the veteran, Brett Kern, for that spot. But now there's a report out that Brett Kern is not considering the Bills because he's going to stay back in Nashville because he's being told by the Titans, hey, just in case things go wrong, we still could have you here. Well, his father said on the Buffalo radio station that he's not coming to the Bills. And... uh his father is in Western New York where Brett Kern grew up. Now he said the Titans are, are encouraging Kern to, to, to sit tight and you know, they'll come back to him if things don't work out for Stonehouse. I don't buy that Kern's going to do that unless Kern is just saying, Hey, I'm done. But if things don't go well for Stonehouse and the Titans come back to me, I'm here. Um, but, you know, I think if Indianapolis came, a short commute for him, you know, he could be interested in that or something less far away than, than Buffalo. But Titans fans are going crazy with this idea. Like, well, the Titans told him to sit tight, so he's just going to sit tight. Like, the Titans have no hold on Brett Kern now. And others are asking me even more ridiculous question about why isn't he on the practice squad? A guy who has been in the league since 2007 or 8 and who was on the Titans from 2009 is not going to be on the practice squad watching another guy who took his job punt. Think, people. That's moronic. Well, and also. And they're saying, well, if he's going to sit tight, why not be on the practice squad and make money? Give me a break. People's lack of understanding of how thing wor- things work sometimes is baffling to me. The practice squad is a place for people who learn how to make it, not a storage place for veteran guys who held a job since 2009. Veteran punters who've been around since 2009. Um, and I also think it's, it's just good recruitment by the Titans to tell a guy, hey, there, this isn't to say that if you know, things go south, we wouldn't give you a call if you're around, right? Yeah. If you're, you're sticking around here, you stay in shape. There may be another opportunity for you. I would love to you. hear that if I'm Stonehouse. I just beat out I, the all-time leader in all the punting categories, and you're telling the guy, hang out. 
because uh, this guy yeah, may blow I, it. I, well, and if they're saying we, we're not sure this guy may blow it is one thing. If he pulls a muscle, you, know, you could also frame it. If something happens with him one way or the other, sure. we could give you a call. Well, it's your job to protect it's yourself in all circumstances. It's not Kern's job to be ready for them after they cut him. Yeah, I don't necessarily love that if I'm Stonehouse, but I understand the pitch from the Titans with a guy you've been around for so long. Saying that, it's also being relayed by his dad in a radio interview. So I don't know that they said, hey, we're not sure about this guy. He could start shanking them quickly. You stand by your phone, and we'll give you a call quickly if you're still in Nashville. So I I doubt that was the case. I think the Colts would be an ideal place for him. Uh, you know, I mean, he's got a young family here. He, he made it clear when we talked to him on Saturday night, he's not uprooting his family. But if he played for Indianapolis, you know, you could drive home on a, on a Sunday night from Lucas Oil Stadium if you had a victory Monday and didn't need to be back until Wednesday morning and you'd have a couple days here. That sounds like a pretty good situation if you're not playing in Nashville. Hey, tomorrow, Outkick 360 hitting the road. We will be in Knoxville getting ready for Tennessee Ball State and the entire college football weekend with our college football special here at Outkick 360. We will be at Old City Sports Bar. If you're watching, you see it on the screen right now. Uh, First 30 people there, free pitcher of beer and a slice of pizza for the first 30 Outkick fans there. Clay Travis will join us live on the show. Uh, VFL Heath Schuler. Um, not a great pro career for Heath Schuler, but in Knoxville, he's loved because he had a great college career, runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. He will be live on site with us as well. Again, tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time at Old City Sports Bar. Paul, you're going to be back here, and uh, special guest is going to be joining you in studio. Blake Bettingfield, yeah. good friend of the show who writes for me, uh, will join to talk uh, NFL and uh, from a scouting perspective. And we'll talk about some of the new players. It's college theme day, so we'll talk about some of the new players coming into the league and maybe a little bit about uh, key people to watch looking forward to the 2023 draft. Please also ask Blake about his thoughts on John Robinson's thoughts on COVID and the 2020 draft class and what what he thinks about how people may have gotten creative during that time. With that, I'd, I'd love to know an answer to that. I shall. So that'll be tomorrow. That's Hunt. a good deal there, free beer and pizza for yeah. the first 30. Not bad, not nice. bad. Everybody gets a free pitcher of beer. Not not bad at all. Uh, that's tomorrow, Old City Sports Bar in Knoxville, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. If you're going to the game, if you're in town, come by and say hello. Looking forward to that. Always looking forward to Outkick 360. Paul's going to be back in Nashville. And, Paul, for everyone in Nashville and everywhere else, You've got a message. Especially if you're driving to Knoxville, do not block the box on route. And before you leave home, lock your locks. Thank you very much.